Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. This is Tom Douglas. And Terry Roach, your older chef in the hat. And uh, if you want to be part of this lively audience of one, <laughs> you can come here, go to hotstovesociety.com and buy yourself a ticket. It comes with a delicious breakfast and steaming hot coffee. Uh, thanks for tuning in. As a reminder, you can participate in um, taping these Friday mornings. Usually it's 9 to 11. So if you have that free on your schedule, I know you do, Chef. I do. And it's always every Friday I'm free from 9 to 11 for some reason. <laughs> Our studio is located in the Hot Stove Society kitchens here at the Hotel Andra, downtown Seattle, 4th and Virginia. If you need a landmark, our, our restaurant Lola is downstairs. Across the street is the Dahlia Bakery, Serious Pie. And, and then a lot of people know Asagio Restaurant, which is right next door to us, right. too. Fourth so. and Virginia is what you have to remember, yeah, right? Exactly. And uh, what you were referring to is you can watch us on YouTube live because we have our own YouTube channel. You go to Tom Douglas and Company and you click on Hot Stove Society Radio Show and you'll find us every Friday morning or the rest of the week. Here we go. Tasty subjects today include purple sprouting broccoli. Mm. Mm. Sounds delicious. It sounds like something Pamela, our producer, uh, <laughs> made up. She loves a good rainbow on her dinner plate. And it's uh, when you go to her house, you don't just say, what are we having? Because that's usually you kind of say, well, we're having salmon tonight or we're having steak tonight. Right. At her house, it's more like, what aren't we having because there's radicchio and fennel and carrots and purple sprouting broccoli and barley and you know you, you name she's it a, she's yeah. just trying to keep you in line so Tom. it's just a just remember when you go to her house and have dinner say what aren't we having tonight the list is shorter uh it's international hummus day yes and so we brought hummus. in a few uh things of hummus uh, from our local grocery stores to see if we can do a little hot stove society tasting uh, and we're serving them with those delicious La Penzanella biscuits, those crackers that they make. Uh, that has become quite the business. You, you see oh. them all over the country. I love them. They're actually really, really good. A co-founder of Spinnaker Chocolate is going to be here. Kelly Van Arsdale is with us for two segments to talk about their chocolate-making process and guide us through the tasting. And Pamela, uh, you and I both are invested in Theo Chocolate, and you were part of the company and developing... Uh, the tours that are out there and yes. learning about chocolate, where the it comes whole curriculum, from, how it's made. So I'm going to leave those segments to you to ask the pertinent, oh. pertinent questions. I'm going to grill pertinent. them. That would be a good crossword word. I already have um, much respect for them because they're still focusing on origin. Uh-huh. And that's something that Theo no longer does that I'm a little sad about. So ah. there'll be a good conversation. And there. why do you think Theo dropped that? Commercial viability. Uh, zesty, the zesty kick of Tamarind's going to be here. Uh, don't forget. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Do we have the phone number? <laughs> We're going to steam some food today. I don't think people steam very much at home, unless you're maybe of a culture. Like you think of, uh, I always think of steaming in a Chinese way because of the bamboo steamers. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and I love that, that type of cooking, but I don't think a lot of people do it. So I did it last night purposely to have something to talk about very okay, fresh in my head. It's not very French, is it? Although steaming... Oh, no, 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 it is. We do a lot of steaming in French. Yeah. yeah. We, do, okay. we do a lot of steaming, uh, braising, and uh, poaching. Okay. Yeah, because uh, French, they don't love a whole ton of spice. That steaming no. seems... But steaming does... Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about that. And we're going to finish up the day with uh, Rub With Love, Food for Thought, Tasty Trivia. It's a challenge worth joining in on. And I know uh, Pamela has already roped in one of our audience members... Uh, so uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, my taste of the week, uh, 
you know, I like to kind of bring in what I do for evening. There's a television show on King TV uh, that um, it's called Evening. It's been on for 20-plus years, I want to say, and I do a a couple of spots a month. We tape them right here at the hot stove. And it's always interesting because I just go wander the grocery store and decide what I'm going to make. There's no criteria other than I try to be seasonal. But I felt like uh, the other day it it was sunny and warm, and I felt like a big spring salad, so I made a Greek salad. But I used a little bit of my my learnings from uh, going to Vietnamese restaurants where, you know, just really you can't put enough whole fine herb leaves in it, right? And so Greek salad, I think Thai of... Thai basil and... Yeah, I think of a little bit of mint and maybe some Greek oregano, but generally that's about it. But right. in my Greek salad with beautiful cucumber and cherry tomatoes and... Um, Tons of mint, tons of copper fennel. Mm-hmm. Even putting fennel in the salad is kind of a fun little addition, uh, especially right now. That's beautiful right now. And radishes, no? No, 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 no. I don't want to get crazy. <laughs> uh, but um, anyway, it was such a beautiful salad, and it, it spurred on, like, what do you serve with Greek salad? Because a lot of times you think of salad being, like, not necessarily the main part of the dish, uh, and I, I did it with a little bit of spice rub salmon, our new pizza spice, mm-hmm. some uh, gorgeous uh, Bristol Bay sockeye. Uh, or Jackie had made some charred tirapitas or the little mm-hmm. charred phyllo pies right. in our freezer. So I baked off a couple of those. So you make the big salad and just garnish it with something. It right. doesn't need a whole right. lot because it's got feta cheese uh, uh, as part of the salad. And sheep's milk feta, by the way. Don't buy that cow's milk feta. No. <laughs> Uh, and uh, it, it was just a delicious, beautiful yeah, oats of spring. Personally, I would do, I, you don't even need to add any um, protein like, like you do. No, you don't. Um, I mean, you could do a nice little grilled toast bread with some tapenade, olive tapenade on it, and mm-hmm. that would be a nice compliment to a nice Especially because, salad. you know, that dressing is so simple. It's just olive oil and vinegar, and it's all on the bottom of right. and you can just soak it up with your bread. Mm. Yeah. I can't wait for summer to be around the corner. <laughs> It is around the corner, Chef. Well, I don't know what corner you're looking at. You don't at, have to wait any longer. <laughs> my corner says next, for the next week it's going to be cold. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to wait any longer. Uh, my taste of the week, Chicorina Pastries. That's a new, fairly new pastry shop in, um, uh, city, in the city district, central district, like right next to Communion down there on Union. And uh, the owner, um, um, Hannah Johannes, this young lady, entrepreneur, who decided to open her own pastry shop. Um, it's a very, very um, delicious pastries. I had a beautiful lemon poppy seed muffin that was exactly how it, I would wish it was. I would have had a little lemon confit on top just mm-hmm. because, as you know, but we you always... you can't help yourself. That's yeah, I just what... can't help myself. I just want more lemon. Right. And, um, and she had a fantastic berry pie. I mean, it was perfect. Not too much sugar, mm-hmm. not wet. It was, it was just flawless, and I, I was very impressed by that. So a little homey kind of, she's the only one in there, and, and she does all the work, and it's, it's impressive because it's a lot of work to hold a pastry shop. It really is. And By herself? I, should, I saw her by herself in that shop, and it, it's like a house. The, the shop is not a shop, it's a house. Oh. So you walk up to the house, and she has a window, and you place your order, and... You know, she brings it up to you, but it's all made on the promises, you know, and I'm like, girl, I'm glad you're young, and, you know, I remember those days. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think... Remember uh, those days going in at 9 o'clock in the morning, at, uh-huh. uh, or even earlier at 
rovers, and you didn't even open until six o'clock at night. That's right. That's yeah. that's uh, quarter to quarter to eight. Triple espresso, a cigarette. That was the beginning of the day. Yeah, and I was like, "Geez, I'm glad we didn't keep that up." <laughs> up ahead, purple sprouting broccoli on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. And we're back in the kitchen here at the Hot Stove. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotero, the chef in the hat. And chef, um, we're going to talk a little bit about purple sprouting broccoli because our producer, Pamela, uh, loves her veggies. And so uh, the other thing about it is that, you know, we've had a very chilly spring around here. Uh, and uh, early on, we had a cold winter. Right. Back in the, we had the big snowstorm and stuff. But purple sprouting broccoli is very hardy. And it seemed like a, it seems like a good thing to grow in our neighborhood. Correct. Well, well, anything from not necessarily like, over at the farm in Prosser where it gets too hot, right. but in this cool kind of wet climate because you can plant it in the fall. It loves a good freeze. It's, it's, anything like cauliflower, anything from the cabbage family will do really well in Seattle. Yeah. It's wet. It's damp. It's moist. It's uh, cold or right. not very hot. And this stuff takes six months to mature. Yeah. Into, in, in France, the region the that's the most famous for cauliflower, cabbage, and everything is Brittany, which is... Same weather as here. Yeah. Lots of rain, lots of gray days, lots of, you know, not too much heat. And that And provides, a cool, moist breeze. Right. Yeah. And that, that provides for, you know, the, the cruciferous family just does love that. Yeah. Brasses proud and all that. So all of that said, uh, you should get your seeds and get them going at the, in, the, in the fall, seems right. to me, so that it's ready to go this time of year, right now in the spring. Yeah, it's an overwinter growth. Okay, so let's cook with it. You can't. I, here's what I'll say about it, though. You can't really find it. I've not seen it much in the grocery store. You have you? to go to the farmers market. Well, PCC has got all the right. local stuff, and at the farmers market, okay, yeah. there's mountains of it. Okay, and most farmers markets are opening now in the next couple of weeks. I mean, uh, I know the one on in my neck of the wood in the city opens um, May 15, so this weekend. So it's most of the farmers market neighborhood farmers market are going to open in the next. In May. They open in May. So Okay. So let's cook with it, Chef. You, you start. So I personally like to take the top, the top part and cut just the top parts of the, of the broccoli and keep the stem and steam the stem for another different purpose. Mm -hmm. But I like to take the top part and I like to drop them in brown butter, period. Just like that. Because they're very tender. <laughs> I'm not shy about, you know, putting it in brown butter. Why mm -hmm. not? Why not? So you end up with a semi-fried uh, broccoli floret, basically, that is extremely nutty because it's a beautiful, it's a sweet, um, um, in, you know, when you eat it raw, it's sweet. When you put it in brown butter, it just tastes like nuts and sweet. So it's very, very nice. And then I finish with a dash of red wine vinegar. Mm -hmm. And then that brings the acid right into the, into the dish. So it's like a bernoisette with, uh, with, uh, brown, uh, with vinegar. Mm -hmm. So that's how I like to put that so are you I, just serving that as a side dish, or are you building you, a pasta on that, or you what can are you going to do, do? You can do many things with it. That's a, the base of that is once you have that, and you could put chopped shallots in it, and so the shallots fry at the same time. But once you have that, you can put that on top of a pasta, which in the pasta you could also have mushroom and all, all, all kind of other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you could put it in a soup. Like if you, for example, make a broccoli Don't you soup. Don't think it's kind of wasted in a soup? Well, no, because if you make a broccoli soup, like if I was making a broccoli soup, I would sweat my onions, add my broccoli, you know, vegetable stock or chicken stock, puree the whole thing down, 
And then I would serve the soup with that garnish in the middle of the soup. So now you have a, a sweet and sour kind of idea, nutty thing in the middle of your soup with a little bit of the brown butter uh-huh. swimming in there. And then you put that in the middle of your soup, and that really dresses up your soup. Mm. Um, it goes but well. You, you know, my thing with soups, and I, I'll just, it's my pet peeve, is when I get into a bowl of soup and I've got pieces in the soup that are bigger than my spoon. Oh, no, no, no. And I, you got, so you've got to make sure you cut it down and make more correct. of a relish out of it in correct. your soup. It's always, I mean, we, we talked about this. You know what I'm saying? Don't you hate yeah. that? I like, just, how am I supposed to cut this in a bowl of wet soup? I always tell people, when you cut, you don't have to know how to cut all the cuts that we talk about as chef. But you must remember your mouth is only so big. Yeah. So don't don't leave the you know like the chard. You go into a restaurant and you're putting a piece of chard <laughs> and it's you know it's 12 inch long. You're like, what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So to me, you've you know not to be critical, chef, but you've kind of taken this beautiful spring purple broccoli shoot and the, by putting it in a soup, you've kind of lost it. In well, some ways, I even think that I slathering it in the butter fat that you're kind of losing some of its beauty. Right. So I'll just take the opposite road. Okay. You know, later in the show, we're going to talk about steaming, but I'll steam that broccoli real quick and then just toss it in, you know, in something light and airy. I'm know. listening. I'm listening too. Uh, <laughs> He's developing the thought. This, this would be a good time to use a nice olive oil, a squeeze of lemon, Something that's going to enhance the flavor and not kind of take it over. 100%. So, you can and then also, I, I would love to just serve that. Because I, I literally, Pam says she sees it at all the grocery stores and markets, but I haven't seen it much. I, when I find it, I want to celebrate it. Yeah. It's a good time to use, you know, in the store they have, in the olive oil section, they have this kind of uh, orange or pressed oil, olive oil mm-hmm. or a lemon pressed olive oil. It's a good time to use that. Just drizzle right. it over top. It's also a good time to use your big flake salt. Salt, yeah. Right, because the salt's going to add crunch. You've steamed the broccoli where it's still crunchy, but not overly so. I don't like the raw thing unless I'm eating raw vegetables. Right. Right? Now's a good time to use some of those lightly flavored uh, olive oils that you spend a lot of money on, and they're so delicious, but you don't want to put them in a salad dressing because... Right. I can use olive oil and lemon juice in a salad dressing. Well, you could use the principle of a slaw as well. You could just take those florets, cut them, and then marinate them with a little bit of lemon olive oil dressing kind of idea. And then I think I just did that, Chef. Well, you let it sit on the counter so it becomes more like a slaw, like it tenderizes a little bit more. And then you could put that on anything. On anything. In, in good or by itself, right. It'd be, great. It'd be great on grilled bread with goat cheese. Mm-hmm. I mean, goat cheese and those florets would be delicious. Um, but anyway, yeah, they're definitely multi-usage. I've found one extreme. You brought the other extreme. Anywhere in between. I mean, you could grill them. You know, grill a piece of salmon let's, right let's now. Let's talk about that. How do you take, I mean, I know how I do it, uh, whether it's cauliflower or broccoli or chunks of cabbage. Uh, I don't do it with Brussels sprouts so much because they're so small, but <laughs> you can put they, them in one of those mesh baskets right? and do them over the fire. But... In my mind, when you're grilling them over a charcoal fire, you kind of have to blanch them first. I like them, whether it's broccoli rob so or... So I like that little bit of blanch and then a hard sear rather than trying to start them on the charcoal grill from raw. Yeah. sometimes they're too dry. They dry out more quickly than I want them to. Yeah, those florets are pretty... I mean, they cook fast. Yeah. They, I don't think they would... You necessarily need to do that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I understand exactly what you're saying, and I agree with you. 
But I think in those floret pots. On those little tiny parts, probably. Yeah, and uh, yeah. just the most important part is to put a little bit of olive oil, salt, pepper before you put it on the grill, but don't put it on the flame. Mm-hmm. Make sure you move it away from the flame. And, you know, you'll have a, a, on a hot grill, it takes three, four minutes. That's all you need because it's already very tender. It right. And when you have vegetables like that, especially if they're cut up in smaller pieces, or you can do it with uh, kale, uh, cabbage, all sorts of things. Get one of those mesh baskets off yeah. uh, from a barbecue store online True. or something like that. Because you can do anything. You can yeah. do, literally, you can do ruby chard in there yeah. right over the fire. And it's uh, as long as you've tossed it with a little bit of olive oil, it's delicious really quickly. And it brings a big pile of, of luscious barbecue flavor yeah. to your table. Absolutely. I think it's an absolute perfect tool for this kind of thing, for the young floret, like these tender greens, young asparagus. You know, right? I had a asparagus last night. I'll talk about this later. Super, super, super delicious. Was the asparagus good or just the way you cooked it, Chef? No, no. The asparagus itself was tasty. <laughs> I haven't had, you know, that was my second taste of Eastern Washington asparagus. And I was like, oh, I love spring. Spring is, you know, everything is tender in spring when it's so yeah. new and Me too. exciting. I'm tender. We're taking, uh, taping our show today on March thir- or May 13th, which is... National Hummus Day, H-U-M-M-U-S. Hummus. Hummus. I can't do it like the Israelis do it. Hummus. Hummus or Lebanese or Hummus. whoever, whoever Hummus. does that hard thing in the back of their throat. But anyway, we're going to try a few that are in our local grocery stores and tell you what we think. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right, it's time to enjoy some hummus on National Hummus Day. And I try to do it, I try to say it correctly. I was in a hummus. Jewish, uh, Jewish uh, restaurant in Philadelphia called Zahar. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was trying to figure out what the heck they were talking about when they, you know, it's just that hard <laughs> back of the throat uh, hummus. Hummus. And you say it's the same hummus. As, it's, it's the same as the French R. In yeah, how when, you, when you. In how you get to that sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the bottom of the throat and hummus. And then do the French You roll, you roll. Ro, 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 tu ro. Oh, I see. All right, there you go. I'm Tom. I'm Terry. He's got a hat on. I don't. It's time for National Hummus Day. And uh, Pamela, why don't you share a little thought about the books that you brought from, uh, uh, for us? Uh, there's two. One is literally called Hummus, uh, and it's the... It's the Hummus Trail. You know how we often say, like in Scotland, we say it's the the Golf Trail, the Gold Coast Golf <laughs> Trail or something. But this is actually a Hummus Trail. And where does it start and where does it end? Uh, such an important part of the world. The Hummus Route is considered to be from Cairo up to Beirut, going through Gaza, Jerusalem, Tel Aviv. And it includes a, a little bit to the east, Damascus. And the role that hummus plays in those cultures is so critical to bringing people together. So the book I know it's been so successful. There's no war at all in in that area uh, of the world. No conflict. (laughs) (laughs) But the book is as much about the people and the variety of hummus preparation as it is about the chickpea itself. Uh But I have a dual love for hummus because of what it is as a food and because it is also a very proud product of Washington State because we produce some of the world's finest chickpeas over in eastern Washington, the York and Pedro Lasano varieties, which you can now find 
um, vintage dated and varietally designated in the bulk areas of uh, town and country market and PCC. And it makes a big difference to have fresher dried chickpeas to make your hummus. Does it? I'm surprised that it does. I would almost think the opposite. It might be fun to have like a five-year-old bean. It doesn't develop any interesting flavors. No, it or does not. It just gets old. Although, <laughs> like the rest of us. Yeah. But uh, as I put in my notes, last week when uh, Yotam Otolenge was here, uh, the audience was aghast because he, you know, he's one of the kings of hummus. And he said that he loves using jarred, like the Italian chichi oh, uh, wow. version of garbanzos uh, and, and said that it was okay to use those as a source for your making your hummus and here i am slaving over soaking and boiling and drying our washington beans but Uh there are many paths to beautiful hummus i've made hummus from the can as well and it was it came out really really delicious and you know there's no no shame in that i have no shame in that yeah I, i don't know if i do or not because um I just don't make it very much, so I don't. I can't really I say. I'm, I'm probably after the show today. I'm probably not going to make it very much either, because <laughs> my friend Pamela makes it all the time. It's like 100 percent on the menu, and so I, I don't have to. Sean, our producer, our technical producer, uh, was saying before uh, in the break that there's a way to cook the chickpeas that softens them so that when you go to puree them, yeah, uh, they come out smoother. Uh, and I think this might be a issue. I don't have a very good food processor or maybe like just I don't have like a Vitamix but okay. if you do I don't know if it's entirely necessary but um, I've always heard and I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you guys where there's tons of great hummus products out there and sometimes to make your own is a little bit you know of a hassle but uh-huh. uh, Annie um, made hummus a while back did the thing where I think she did a, a teaspoon of baking soda to I forget what maybe a cup or a quart, quart, quart of, of beans. beans yeah and the texture was just amazing it was like this smooth it wasn't sort of like you know when things get a little gummy if they're overworked or pasty but this was just kind of smooth and light and it just reminded me of this um place i worked back in arizona where they had sort of a family recipe and i think it was the same thing where they uh-huh. did the and i just hadn't had hummus quite that texture and it was really you know worth it to go that extra you know right but i think the the key is not to make it Tastes like baking soda, so you got to find a good ratio, and because that know. can come off on your palate, you don't really oh, know yeah. what it yeah. is. Totally, but it can come off chalky on your yeah, palate, especially if it's weird. not cooked. That's yeah, exactly. the pot. I mean, if I was putting baking soda, if I was taking a can of peas of um, chickpeas, and I was no, this put, is when they're this is when they're dried. This is not for a can. Oh, dry. But, oh, you still, yeah, dry and then soak. But um, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure about the canned. Well, uh, you have you, you have to cook it. No matter what, oh, yeah. the baking yeah, would, soda, you have to cook it because right, yeah. raw baking soda is definitely not that good. Yeah, but I don't know if you would need to add baking soda to the can. Right. right. Okay. I, never, I never did. So uh, we have the Zahar book in front of us. We also have uh, Pamela's book, uh, Hummus. Uh, is, that the, is, hummus. The, is that the entire name of the book? Hummus. On the Hummus Route, a journey between cities, people, and dreams. Yeah. And now you've made a lot of different hummuses out of there. Is, is, is that Absolutely. the right? Can you pluralize hummus? Do you say you hummuses? Sure? <laughs> hummuses. You just did. Who am I? Yeah. Who am I? I don't know. What is your favorite style? Because the ones that we have in front of us, we have the Lebanese one from Mom Noon. We have the Dreamland version, which I always associate with uh, Sali from the old Sali Alago yes, days. Yes, me too. And that's a more Syrian and then uh, we have the Turkish Delight version, which is the shop down in the Pike Place Market, 
which is much more chunky. Do you, what is your favorite as you've worked through this book? I'm trying to get, I haven't achieved perfection. Uh, two weeks ago, Annie used the recipe from Zahav, and that was the best locally produced that, that I've had, and um, I'm still striving. But one, one thing Otolenghi talked about that was new to me was using some ice water in the finish to get to that creamy loftiness, because I want that more than the chunky style. You do like that really yes. smooth. Yes. Yeah, I think, I think that fresh, uh, blended hummus is absolutely quite essential. Once you put it in the fridge, it changes a little bit. But when you just fin- finish to blend it, oh, it's so beautiful. I, wanna do, I need to do more work with my tahini. Now, now that I've had that Villa Gerada tahini, I'm going to switch to that because that is a spectacular product. Creamy, creamy, it's gorgeous. So creamy, gorgeous. Villa Gerada, J-E-G-E, no, J-E-R-A-D-A. And it's um, Mehdi is the one who does tahini, that. Uh, well, there's a lot of arguments in the book about the tahini ratio, but I'm a fan. Mm-hmm. Less garlic, more tahini. Yeah. As much lemon as possible. That's what I say, as much lemon as possible. Yeah. Lemon is, is, I think, a good addition to a hummus. Okay, so, Chef, we have three types of hummus in front of us. As I mentioned, uh, we have the one from Mom Noon, which is a restaurant up on Capitol Hill. Uh, they have a few different uh, other joints around town. Uh, we have the one from Dreamland, which is, I want to say, like 125th in Aurora. It's in a building you would never realize right. that they were making beautiful baba ganoush and hummus and pitas and stuff. And then we have the one from the Pike Place Market, Turkish Delight, which is very different, very chunky. I had a whole ch- chickpea in that one, but right. lots of chunky chickpeas. My very guess, garlicky. Very garlicky, and uh, it's uh, my guess is a certain style of hummus. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Do you have a favorite uh, of the ones that people can buy in the grocery store in front of you there? Well, the, the one from Mam Noon in the last couple of years has been my favorite hummus on the market that I have found. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I've had Dreamland and I've had uh, Turkish Delight, and it's a different style. But uh, Dreamland, I really like Dreamland because I think it's a good vessel, meaning that I, could put some, I can see putting some nice lemon confit on top of that as you serve it. Mm-hmm. So you could have little crustini or crackers on the or even some pita bread on the table, warm, and you can spread that onto your, to your pita and put the lemon confit right on top of that. And that, that would work for me. Um, the one I like about Mamnoon is the lemon content to the, the ratio is perfect to me, to the hummus, and uh, a little paprika right on top of it. I think it's paprika that's right on top yeah. of it, uh, sprinkled on top of it, and I think that's most perfect. I oh. mean... Probably the most well-known brand out there, which we don't have in front of us today, is the Sabra, right. which is owned by Pepsi-Cola, and so we'll just leave that at, at the grocery <laughs> store. It's not that it's bad product. I mean, I've eaten it many times, so I'm just saying these are a little bit more intimate Well, these feel a products. lot more natural and fresh in yeah. terms of... They probably, probably are. Uh, the thing I didn't realize about hummus that so many people do, and when you look at the Sahar book, uh, or Zahav, sorry... Um, you see it kind of as a base for almost like a lunch. So, like, you have a plate with uh, hummus spread all the way around, and then in the center you have, like, stewed lamb, right. or you have a little salad of fava beans and sprouts. Uh, roasted chicken. Roasted chicken. And I don't think of hummus being served in that way, at least in my house. I've never traveled in that part of the world. So is that something that uh, you have seen, Pam, that yes. you see people use it kind of as the base for their lunch plate? Yes, and 
is the place Sean worked, he said they had many popular dishes that way. And I love the service when you get the hummus with the chickpea in it and some gr- uh, the whole chickpea and some greens and the olive oil and Usually it's like an yogurt. herby, an herby, herby o- yeah. olive oil, yeah. That's kind of it's perfect. A great, I mean, it's a great dipping sauce. I mean, you know, it's you can. I know, use but it. it's it's this lunch. Yeah, it's really the hummus is looked at in my mind. There is the, your whole protein. Yeah, right. Yeah, very rich for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to come back and we're going to steam up a few things just because that's what we do. One thing I forgot to mention: there is a movie called Hummus the Movie. You Stop gotta, it. it's a documentary. <laughs> You gotta watch that. It's You're super gonna make cool. Pam cry. I, I'm <laughs> three different places uh, in the middle of Persian countries: uh, Israel, Palestine, and um, I think Iran. All right, here Thank we you go. For telling me when we come back, steaming on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. Hey, chef, we're back here in the kitchen at the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio in the beautiful Hotel Andra, downtown Seattle. And um, your hat is looking... you have a fresh hat? Yes, I do. Yes, your hat is it's looking very hat. new today. Oh. Very fresh. Fresh and dapper. Dapper. Yes, indeed. I'm, get, I'm getting ready for my trip to France, so... Do you remember the name of the hair gel in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? No. It was called Dapper Dan. Here we go. Yeah, there you go. Dapper One of the Dan. greatest soundtracks of all time, by the way. Okay. Would be super fun to steam with. Put that steam in the background with. and then steam with. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Which brings us to our next okay, segment. Yes, it does. Uh, you've seen them. You've seen them around. Uh, I don't think most uh, American homes have them, uh, unless you're American Asian uh, of some sort. Um, they're called bamboo steamers. They're literally made out of bamboo, and they come in layers. Uh, they have um, typically when you buy a stack at a at Wajamaya or at some some grocery store. You get two two uh, layers of the steamer part and then one lid. And I always just look for a pan that they fit on top of. Uh, if you have a wok, you know, your wok is graduated down to the bottom. So literally, it can take a smaller one towards the bottom and a bigger one towards the top. And then it's, you just adjust how much moisture you put in right. to steam over. It's actually a great tool to use the wok. It works really well. Yeah. And the steamer themselves, the bamboo steamers, unlike, say, a metal steamer, uh, they actually add a little vanilla quality, like, right. like an oak barrel does when you're doing wine. They do have their own little essence about them when they get warm. Flavor. They just It's small, and it's unless you're steaming something very bland, you probably wouldn't notice it. Right. But you can smell it when you're steaming, right, because the moisture is getting into the wood and uh, becoming a part of the, the energy of the steamer. So... That's the kind of steamer we're going to use today. There's plenty more. There's double boilers that have steamer attachments. That's the one I have. That's the one, a metal, like a stainless I have steel a version. Pot. And then you see lots in big restaurants, like in uh, Chinese dim sum restaurants, where right. you see this same shape, but it's steel, right? A metal stainless right. steel, and it has holes in, in, and they can stack them a dozen tall. Right. And yeah. um, so back to that subject. Last night I purposely steamed um, in that pot that I have and preferred it. And on top and lid, a piece of halibut and some asparagus. Perfectly, it, it came out beautiful. It was nice. One one thing to notice when you steam, there are different level of heat. Contrary to you know, I don't know how that works, but turning it on full blast can be deteriorating your fish, especially like halibut. It's not necessarily better, so I put it on medium heat for a gentle steam or a gentle steam, mm. 
and it works perfectly. Uh-huh. Um, I because just, your halibut on the outside is going to cook super fast. And, correct. But you have to leave it in long enough to cook the inside. That right? is correct. So you want a gentle, softer yeah, steam. You don't want to hurt the outside of the, of the meat. You don't want it to dry out. Actually, it can actually dry out. But um, it came out beautifully. But one thing that I was thinking about, it's actually more practical to have a rectangle steamer versus a round steamer, especially at home, only because those bamboo steamers are great, but... It's very hard to get into it mm-hmm. if you're doing too much stuff or, or, you know, if you're steaming a piece of fish and some vegetable, that's not big enough. You need to have a bigger Well, steamer. they make them huge. No, no, of course. But I'm saying that it, depending on the size, most people don't have a big bamboo steamer on home. They have usually a medium size. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing two pieces of fish and asparagus for two and maybe even something else like broccoli flour like we just talked about, broccoli floret. You know, that's taking a lot of room in that steamer, and that's actually not practical to work with. And I was thinking those perforated pans that we have, half hotel pan, four inch deep, with perforated top, actually works better for the space. Well, I I would never use that because I like the bamboo uh, flavors. I agree. Uh, So there's a couple of things in my mind that you can do when you steam that will be of uh, good benefit for yourself. One is... Uh, the the steaming liquid, right? right? If you're putting it over water, you're going to get a... Water. Water. You're going to get <laughs> nothing, right? So if you make a little aromatic steam, if you're in that water, you add a cup of uh, white wine, you add some ginger stems, you add some garlic or some orange peel, things like that lemon will bomb. give you a aromatic steam so that halibut that you're cooking uh, is... Um, infused with some of those lovely aromatics, like one pot of star anise, right. you know, a cinnamon uh, stick, or little things that, depending on where you're going at the end of your meal, would be a nice addition to your steam bath. Uh, the other thing that I like to do is, I have a big bamboo steamer, right. as you were talking about, but even so, if you're just steaming to pull out and then you're going to sauce it later with something else, then just put a little piece of parchment underneath your piece of fish, and that makes it come out and doesn't stick to the bamboo. Right. You can spray it with a vegetable spray, vegetable oil spray, a few things to make it a little easier to work with. But I like, because you can layer, you can do a lot of things, right? So right. if I have a 10-inch bamboo steamer or a 12-inch, I'll put a 10-inch plate in. As long as there's room for steam to get up around the outside, I'll put my piece of fish or whatever it is that I'm putting the steam on, and then I'll season it there. I'll put the butter on the fish. I'll put the plate has to be kind of a well-shaped plate. Sure. Butter, a little soy sauce, some slivers of green onion or garlic, grated ginger, whatever that is. And now when I steam the fish, the juices from the fish and all the things that I put on top are making its own sauce. Right. So all you have to do is, you know, put your rice in the rice cooker and it's ready to go. You've got your steam fish and the sauce in the bottom. And on the layer below, on because you, you, you have a couple of different layers on your steamer, you put your asparagus or right. you put in whatever it is that you want, baby bok choy. Right. And now you've got this beautiful dinner that's been cooked almost all, except for the rice cooker, in your bamboo steamer. Right. So. And I agree. The, the, I think to me, whether you're cooking in bamboo or metal, I mean, yes, there is some, maybe an argument there, but... I think the, well, more, the, the, the more important is, part is part of is, your soul. That's yeah, part of exactly. the argument. It's like what feels. It's, good. Like, it's like coal versus gas. Yeah. you know, it's the same thing. Um, but I think the more important part is to flavor your broth or your water underneath. You know, your your whatever you're going to cook with. And 
There is many, many ways to flavor. Depends on what you're looking for. There is also not just fish to steam. You know, there's obviously all the vegetables. But you could do meat. You could do a duck. I mean, you could do duck breast steamed. If you've never done that, it's worth trying. Mm-hmm. It's, you do it at medium heat, obviously, not high heat. And but you know, the bottom part, I would put personally, I would put acids like vinegar or uh, wine into the broth, and I would put a stock. So now you have a sauce, kind of like a sauce idea that's forming and steaming your duck at the same time. And I would glaze the duck with maybe uh, um, sweet and sour, like honey and spice or whatever, Mm -hmm. and let that drip gently onto the duck and fall into the plate that you have underneath. But the duck, uh, when you steam a duck breast, personally, I take the fat out. I don't have any fat on the duck breast. You take that that fat and you keep it on the side. I'm sorry for you, you, chef. And you render it. You render it into a pot on the side so you can have that fat, inject your veins with that, and then... <laughs> <laughs> and then... Tom is shaking his head I know. For, for the He thought I was going to throw it away, listener. which is like, shame on you. No, I don't even think you're going to throw it away, but there's... Like, if you go to uh, have steamed uh, cold chicken or steamed chicken at a Chinese restaurant or a duck, it's always skin, uh, skin on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, of course. It's going to render. I, it's really delicious. Yeah. Uh, no, but in this case, I'm talking like uh, Moscovy, which has a very thick skin. You know, I could try to keep it on and not interested in doing that. I want to I want to score that outside and render it in the pot. But the most important part is to steam that duck breast very gently. Then you serve that with things like um, potato gratin. Or you could take new fresh spring potato, small red bliss potato, and then cook them in that duck fat. Then you've rendered yeah, the skin with delicious. The other mm. thing you can do is, like, on your halibut, put a little spice rub on there. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, you, I use togarashi. I have my own in my spice line, but I right. also buy togarashi. It's got some seaweed, some sesame, some orange peel, Great a little flavor. ginger. Just put that on before, and it steams into the fish when, right. you, when you're doing something of that nature. All right, you're listening to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. We've got another full hour. Uh, we're going to talk chocolate and tamarind and... Uh, uh, have some tasty trivia right here. It's the Hot Stove on Cairo 97.3 FM. Stay with us. Woo! It's the Hot Stove Society Show. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. We have one audience member today, Susan. She's making a racket. We like it. Uh, and uh, she's going to uh, stick around for Tasty Trivia at the end of this hour. So she and Chef uh, Annie Elmore, who we like to now call Edna Modes with her new haircut. She's the, the uh, what do they call the devilish, uh, the, yeah, the Incredibles. Yeah, but she's like the brilliant bad person. I don't know the role. Evil, evil genius. genius, that's right. Evil Annie genius. is our evil genius. Yes, she is. Um, for the rest of the show, we're going to talk chocolate, uh, uh, and we're also going to talk uh, tamarind. Chef, you brought in some tamarind. Yeah. And it's uh, looked to me like a lot of times when you see tamarind at a grocery store, it's in a dry kind of pod. Correct. Yours was very wet, so the, the outside it, part of the pod had already been confit. taken off. Oh, you made confit. Oh, I, I didn't make it. I bought it that way. Oh, okay. But let's jump right into our chocolate uh, story here with Kelly Van Arsdale of Spinnaker Chocolate. Uh, tell us, he's going to tell us about the defining characteristics of your process and your cacao sourcing. And Pam, uh, just as a disclaimer, you and I early on invested in Theo Chocolate. You worked there for, I don't know how many years. Five. Five years. 
Uh, I was an investor and happy to say never got a penny back. Uh, <laughs> I did. I'm still an investor. I, I am so too. there. I am still an investor. Oh, good. I'm yeah. glad you kept some money in. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, you enjoyed your time there and you learned a lot about chocolate. So it sure must did. be exciting to see Kelly come in. I know. And He's I'm, got a chance to do it in a less <laughs> harrowing way than what happened to us at the uh, I don't know. Yeah. So, Kelly, let's talk about that. You know, what your dreams were to, to kind of start this business, where you started, where you got your background, and then in the next segment, we'll do some tasting. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, we actually never really intended to start a business. Um, <laughs> it actually started as a hobby. It was my brother's hobby. And he kind of he started at home, started in a kitchen, and then we, he needed to build some equipment. And I'm pretty good with my hands, so he kind of enlisted me to help out with that. And then one thing led to another, and we kind of turned into obsession. We filled our whole garage with equipment, and I guess during the pandemic, kind of realized, okay, maybe we should make this a real business. Maybe and, there's a business there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. We were sharing chocolate with friends and family, and you know, of course, friends and family always say nice things, but we pretty much had a, a universal reception, like, you guys should probably be selling this. Right. So, yeah, so that's and, how we found it. And how did moved. he get the passion for it? I mean, just, did he like Snickers bars when he grew up, or what the heck? <laughs> no, that's a big commitment. No, he's he likes a purist. chocolate. <laughs> yeah, he's a purist when it comes to chocolate. He really likes his deep, dark chocolate. Um, I think part of it was because we were living in San Francisco. And so Dandelion, when they started up in San Francisco, we got to watch them kind of grow firsthand. Uh-huh. Uh, they actually went to Google and he's a Google employee. So I think he got to meet them there and see how they were making chocolate at home. And then, um, of course, Scharfenberger also started in the Bay Area. So that was kind of a big inspiration for him also. And uh, I think he just kind of got excited about it. I know for me, the reason we got excited about I guess cacao in general is just because it's such an interesting and cool crop and it's fascinating how it's grown and fermented and things like that. So interesting. Yeah. Uh, Pam, you, you and I go to Hawaii uh, every year and you drug us up the hillsides there in Kona, up the, the hillside of Mauna Loa to look at some of the cacao plantations up there. Um, how did you get your passion for it? I was um, intrigued by turning an agricultural product into something that brings so much joy to people. But I didn't know what I was getting into because I also started getting into the deepest, darkest way to consume cacao and now can't eat candy (laughs) because I want the chocolate characteristic, the bean characteristic. And um, I was never skinnier in my whole life than when I worked at a chocolate factory because I was living on nibs. And so I was high from the theobromine, (laughs) running around at the top of my life. But um, I was telling Tom and Terry earlier, when we started Theo, we were concentrating on origins, but now it has turned more into a candy company. Uh, so that's why I'm so excited to hear about you because you're still focusing on origin. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we do focus on origin. We pretty much only make single origin. We've experimented with some some dual origin stuff, but pretty much everything we have right now is all single origin, which is super fun because the characteristics are totally different totally from one different. origin to the next. So have you moved out of the garage or are you still in the garage? Yes. No, we moved out of the garage. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm just checking. Yeah, we moved. So we had everything in a garage in San Francisco. We moved up here uh, during the pandemic. And when we moved up here, we found a space. So we, I live over in Wedgwood and we have a space in Ravenna. So pretty close to, okay. if you know that like little stretch up up behind you village where there's Mio Posto. And sure. then, yeah, we're right in that, in that stretch. So we've got a little production area there. 
that's where we make everything, and then our little retail store there as well. And you get all your culinary concepts from the Wedgwood Broiler, no doubt. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I actually haven't been to the Wedgwood Broiler you yet. You haven't? It's on my list, oh, but we my haven't gone. It's, it's a classic. That yeah. one over there loves the Wedgwood Broiler. Okay, well, we're going to have to go. One of my really good friends keeps telling me I have to go. So Salad bar comes with dinner. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, it's more bar than the salad. Chef, okay. you remember when chocolate became like big in our restaurants? You know, it was it was a hot thing for a while. We yeah. every one of us had cocoa nibs in our salads and yeah. uh, this and that. Uh, I think. Where I think are you that, on? I think then uh, in the same spectrum as Pam was saying, once you taste very deep, rich, bitter chocolate flavors, and you you get so many distinctions of different flavors. It's really hard after that to take a piece of candy that's got chocolate on it and not recognize the plastic that's in it and uh, you know, all that stuff. It's very... Oh, come on. You guys are such purists. What about no, no, a, Fran- no, no, no. What about a Fran salted caramel? Stop that's it. pretty darn good. Stop it for once, Tom. She uses I'm a not good saying, base, though. I'm oh, not saying I cannot does, yeah. eat a, a, a candy. I'm just saying that you can help. I mean, you do distinguish the flavor. Mm-hmm. And it's very different of a flavor. And I personally rather eat that kind of chocolate, which is, you know, it's got a bitter to it, less sugar than a very sweet piece of candy. Than a Hershey's Kiss? Yes. Like oh, a Definitely. I could not. That Hershey's Kiss is, uh, you know, I'm glad it's, it's what it is. I think I just ate a half a bag of them at Easter time. I'm not sure, <laughs> but I might have. See, I can't, I can't do that. I, the I worst wanna... candy I've had lately, though, I will admit to, is a Cadbury egg. Mm. Oh, Jackie oh. bought some of those I don't Cadbury think they eggs. Ha- even have any cacao in them. No. <laughs> oh, there's something in them that's no really powder, gross. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My wife is German, and so she loves oh. her super creamy milka milk chocolate. Oh. Oh. Kinder eggs. She loves Kinder, the Kinder that's eggs. The, what I was so thinking. we actually make a. It's called a dark milk. So it's halfway between a milk and a dark. And we did. We, open we that. made that's that good. as like a starter dark for her to transition her over to the dark uh-huh. side. And now when she tries them, she just puts it down. And she's like, oh. You've spoiled. You've, you've spoiled this for me forever. Yeah. Well, I think I think I mean I personally also like milk chocolate. I think it, if it's done correctly, it can have a beautiful depth to it. It's not, you know. But you're right. A lot of the milk chocolate on the market is. It's sugar first, and that's all right. Sugar yeah. We're going to get snobby in our next segment. We're going to talk about the difference between all these beautiful dark chocolates sitting in front of us, and how we source the product, and all, all of that uh, sort of information. Right here on the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We're back in the kitchen here at the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. And I want to say one thing. You know, you finished the last segment by saying we're going to snub into the uh, taste of chocolate. <laughs> we're just educating ourselves. We're I think educating it's very, ourselves. You know, when you, I mean, it, for 25 years ago when you go to the chocolate aisle in the supermarket, it was not an issue. It was very simple. Today, it's a little bit more complicated because there are some really, really, really excellent or very pure chocolate and some not so pure. So it's actually just like wine. You know, 25 years ago, there was only Gallo, white and red. Now there is a million different wines. So You're exaggerating just a little bit, Chef. Well, a bit. You, you know what I'm saying. I'm trying to uh, We're welcoming back to this segment, Kelly Van Arsdale of Spinnaker Chocolate right here in Seattle area. Uh, we're out of the garage and into a real manufacturing facility. Congratulations. Thank you. We're making a business out of this. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, we talked about the difference in the last segment between 
where Pam and I started at Theo, where it was about fair trade, origin-based uh, chocolating, making sure that everyone was taken care of, and how that kind of morphs when you're, as a company with shareholders, trying to make money. Yes. And that's, uh, that's difficult, and you, you make some decisions that... Um, I mean, I'm not unproud of Theo Chocolate. It's just a different company than where it started, uh, what is it now, 15 years ago, 20 years ago? About right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm still a shareholder, so I, I'm proud to be, all that sort of thing. So let's talk about your bars here now. We, we learned a little bit about you and the company. And so what do we have in front of us? I, I'm salivating now because I have so much chocolate in my mouth. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so we have five of our bars. All of our bars are single origin. So that for us, when it says 70%, just means 70% nibs and 30% sugar. So we're a two-ingredient base chocolate maker. Obviously, the ones with sea salt and bourbon, that's extra ingredients. But for all of our bars, we start out with just the two-ingredient base. We try not to add anything extra. So no vanilla, no other flavor additives. It's just... We just want you to taste the flavor of the origin itself uh-huh. and see that distinction side by side with the other flavors. How much of the flavor of the origin is in your head? <laughs> you like, for example, I started, you had to start with the Uganda, 70% Uganda. And the first thing I thought of was wild. It was like a, a, a wild um, Serengeti kind of in my mind flavor. Uh, it had uh, aromas and things like that. So I don't know if that's just because I read the word Uganda, you know, not... <laughs> I've never been to Uganda. What do I know about it? It's it's, in, it's interesting. And then yeah. we go right into the Belize. So t- take us through the ones we have. Yeah. So I can I can kind of go through the flavor notes for each one, and maybe you guys can tell me if you tasted some of that. So for the Uganda, we do think of it as a little bit wild. It's definitely got a little floralness to it, yeah. um, a little bit of sweetness and fruitiness, but it's on the darker, fudgier side of the bars that we make. Um, but it's bright. It's the, bright. The flavor is yeah, bright. Right off the bat, it's, it's very bright. Yeah, and it kind of changes. That's the fun part about that bar is like over the course of the time that it's in your mouth, it changes flavor dramatically, uh, which is really cool. And then side by side with the Belize, the Belize beans are just this sort of almost, we describe it usually as like a blueberry fruit flavor, and it kind of hits you right at the beginning, and it's quite fruity and quite nice, but not overpoweringly fruity. Yeah, I thought it was more, more tame for sure. Yeah, and then the Madagascar uh, is probably the fruitiest that we make, and it kind of starts off mellow, and then at the end, there's this burst of red tart cherries. I mean, I thought there was... Yeah, I, that's exactly what I thought. Then there was dark, uh, dried cherry in there. Yeah. I, I, was, I couldn't believe it. I was like, that's cool. Yeah. And then I thought it was really interesting. You, you had us taste the Madagascar with sea salt right next to the Madagascar, and it really lets you know what salt does to your palate, right? Yeah. It, it does perk things up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it changes the flavor quite a bit. It becomes a lot sweeter and obviously saltier, but yeah, it yeah. definitely changes the flavor quite a bit. And of course, salt and chocolate pair very well together. So right. that one's per- my personal favorite bar. I also just, I love our Madagascar because I think that's probably the first chocolate that I had as a single origin where I realized, okay, something tastes different here, right? This doesn't just taste like it's over-roasted or it's dark. It's really a very right. unique, interesting flavor. That, that really shows that, uh, you know, each origin has a different flavor. It's a different profile. I mean, it's, yeah. not, it's not a joke. It's actually true. Pam, you, you melted when you saw, no pun intended, when you saw the Madagascar because <laughs> that's your favorite of the whole Theo line too, right? It was, yeah. certainly, because of that bright tart cherry and um, because of its... Um, clear example of how different the flavors can be you put that against a costa rican or dr or hershey and, bar <laughs> and <laughs> it, it increases the consumer's confidence that they can taste the difference right. when they have those side by side yes it's yeah. dramatic yeah absolutely you started the whole program at our tour program at theo chocolate 
people's eyes just burst open when they said, "Oh my God, I know what you're talking about now." Yeah, because they, they don't. I don't like me. I didn't believe it at the beginning, but you can really taste it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and that's fun to see the light bulb go off for people. All right. So then, on the last one you had us, it's the Belize, which I thought was a little bit tame. Didn't it didn't jump out at me. But now you've added some two bar bourbon to it, which is a local distillery. Uh, and it changed dramatically. Yes, yeah. So we actually, to make that bar, we get from the folks over at Two Bar, we get a big bucket of bourbon, and we take our roasted nibs, and we throw them right in the bourbon, and we soak them in that bourbon for about 24 hours. And then we put them in our proofing box. We bake off all the excess alcohol, all the moisture, so there's no alcohol left. And then we just make chocolate from there. So it's basically just retained all the flavor of the bourbon. It is really, really tasty. Yeah. It's a beautiful and it's, it's a, a fascinating... Very, your, your process and your ending product is magnificent. It's, Thank you. Many of the booze chocolate are not very pretty. They're not very... <laughs> this is well, they're in your face. They smack you across yeah, the face. And, and they're not pretty because they don't yeah. use, of course, the best booze or whatever. But this is very delicate and gorgeous. It's, it leaves your, your palate with definitely wanting more. Yeah. So it's... I always think of uh, chocolate and coffee as being kind of from the same world. I think they both are within 10 degrees of the equator. Is that right? Yeah. They're growing zones. Yep. Uh, and you often hear some of the same descriptors when people are talking about a cup of coffee as you do with these single origin chocolates. Right. Yeah. Uh, I love dark, rich coffee. I don't love when a coffee descriptor says it's chocolatey. I tend to move past it. I want something different from it's it's interesting because here chocolatey I like yeah we actually make uh, I didn't put it up there for you guys but we actually make a coffee bar so we take two percent ground coffee and throw it right in we pair it with our Uganda so we kind of we went like with a, almost a fruity Ethiopian coffee and then paired that with the dark fudgy Uganda and it's that's an incredible flavor incredible. I would like so that good. I yeah. think I would like that too yeah I would yeah. like that what uh, where can people find the Spinnaker chocolate bars so we have our own uh, retail space up in Ravenna so you can come there um, we are also starting to do wholesale around the city so we're in a couple of coffee shops um, a couple of bookstores kitchen and market down in Pike Place uh, Leshai Market things like that so okay. we're expanding a little bit but you know obviously you can always come to our space I think it's kind of fun for people to come in and see the whole production process what's the it's, website uh, spinnakerchocolate.com Pamela uh, as an experienced chocolatier who's been out in the marketplace around the world uh, any advice you would give this young man I want to tell you my best account ever uh, Habitude Salon in the locks because women are locked up there for like three hours <laughs> and they go crazy that they can buy a chocolate bar so go after some spas and hair salons okay but That's of course really um, I spent my first five years with Theo traveling to all the natural food co-ops around America Yep. And that those, her people, by the way, those are her people. They're my people, uh, but of course, that is where people, uh, consumers, go to look for this kind of product. So, um, I love the food co-ops. Congratulations and keep the integrity because it's absolutely magnificent. Thank you. Don't really become a candy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Oh my! Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. Thank, Thank you so much. Uh, SpinnakerChocolate.com. So go out and find some and eat some and have fun next thing you know he'll be doing tamarind chocolate bars yeah i can't wait to see that, that. would be good <laughs> you think we can try uh, we're going to talk tamarind next here on the hot stove society show 97.3 fm it's sweet and sour time here at the hot stove society 
downtown Seattle. Uh, we're going to jump right into tamarind. I think it's an exotic ingredient for a lot of people. Certain parts of the world, it's a must in their cuisines, uh, must have and daily resource. But uh, I know in my house, uh, it sits in that little yellow jar in my condiment section in my fridge, and I don't use it very often. So let's talk about ways to use tamarind, tamarind paste, how to recreate uh, some tamarind candies, maybe. Well, let, because, let's, uh, des- let's describe maybe the, the first, the, what does it look or taste like at, yeah. at first? Okay. I, think, I think the number one component of tamarind to me, when I think tamarind, I'm thinking citrus. I'm thinking, you know, it's a pod. It looks like a pod, like almost like, like a, a bean pod, like a small fava bean pod, yeah. you know, and, and it's brown in the market. Um, I've never seen it fresh, but I'm sure it's green when it starts and turns brown when it dries. Um, that's how you buy it. But the highest and number one face of a tamarind is citrus. Mm-hmm. To me, that's super bright citrus, not just light, very citric, uh, almost like citric acid. So, so to me, the closest thing that I have on a regular basis to that kind of brightness and citrus quality is <clears throat> pomegranate. Oh, yeah. And you can sometimes get pomegranate molasses, but even if you make your own pomegranate, re, you know, you juice the pomegranate and make a reduction, to me, you kind of get down to something a little similar right. from a sour level to tamarind. Right. To me, when I think tamarind, I think two things. I think, okay, so it's very high citrus. So, if, for example, if I'm making a chicken, I have two chicken breasts, two chicken legs. I'm going to take tamarind. I'm going to dilute it in a little bit of water or chicken stock. So you, you're buying a little brick of the paste? The paste like, uh, like we have on the table right yeah. here. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just take that and you dilute it into warm water or into warm stock. So it's going to dilute and become a, a liquid. And not mm-hmm. too much liquid, as, as little as possible, as a matter of fact. And I'm going to put that all over my chicken. After it's cooled, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, after it's cooled. I'm going to put it all over my chicken and let the chicken uh, soak into that for a while. And then I will take my chicken and roast it in the oven. Mm-hmm. And that will, it's almost like a rub of any kind. It will have that nice little bright, you know, on the skin, it will have that beautiful bright flavor. It's also a great uh, thing to do with, for, you know, we often talk about roasting cauliflower or Brussels sprout. It's a great item to add to that mm-hmm. in the same kind of condition. Very low water, you know, tamarind, melt it down. And then you put that over your, your Brussels sprout. In the last five minutes, in the, it's in the oven, roasting away, and it makes for a nice little touch on the, onto the uh, vegetable. So, here we go. Now, the, your pay, your, yours is not a paste. It's more like a liquid paste. Yeah, mine, the one that I keep in my fridge is called Tamicon, T-A-M-I-C-O-N. It comes in a little jar with a red lid and a yellow label, and it is... Um, I was just trying to see if there was a country of origin on it, but uh, India is the country of origin, and you, you definitely see tamarind in Indian style, but right. you, know, you see it often in Mexican products. Lots of Mexican candy, Mexican soda pop, right. like that. Um, I'm trying to think of that of well-known brand. Fanta or something like that. Not Gen- Fanta, but... Uh, yeah, anyway. Like uh, tamarind is just that... It's a taste that many cultures have every day. It's like that sour, sweet, and it's often mixed with sugar to give you that right. essential essence. Yeah, which is the other thing that I brought from, that I have in my cupboard. Um, it's kind of like a confit sweet tamarind. So they take the pod. It's, from, it's a product from Trader Joe's. But um, you take the pod and you basically cook them slowly with honey and uh, water, mm-hmm. just plain water and honey, and cook it very slowly down until it's totally like, like a confit idea where it's soft but sweet. And, and then you finish with a dash of vinegar at the end or citrus, you know, if you want to add that to the end. 
and then you get that sweet and sour kind of flavor. It's really delicious. I think it's an easy product to use in, if you're doing, for example, coming in season is a strawberry tart. For me, that's, called, that's my season. When the strawberries are going to be ripe, at the end of June in Seattle, we're going to have those gorgeous strawberry. You make a little pastry cream, and you finish your pastry cream with a tamarind uh, paste of the sweet one, and you put that in your pastry cream, and it's really delicious. It's very... Um, bring some brightness to the dish. Yeah, I think of a dish that I've made a couple of times, not too many in my whole life, because it's just a pain. But I think uh, when I go down to Mutual Fish or watch Maya, and they have small whole fish, uh-huh. like uh, not tilapia, but New Zealand snapper, or right. um, s- there's some rock farm fish. brand Zenos, a little local uh, coastal rockfish, something of that. You take those... You put a couple of, uh, you know, you have to cut, take the um, the fin. Well, no, you leave the fins on, but the uh, what's on the skin? Oh, the scales. The scales. You get, you know, you take the scales off. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, and then you put a, a few slices into the thick parts of the fish. But right. if these fish are small enough, you don't need more than two or three slices right. on both sides. And then you dredge it in cornstarch and you deep fry it. And while you're doing that, uh, in another pan. Take the ingredients that you would make, say, nok cham out of, which is lime okay. juice, sugar, uh, add tamarind paste to that, uh, serrano chilies. You want it to be perky. Right. Not just in sour, but in some a little bit of pepper heat. Uh, and uh, you could take some uh, lemongrass or some threads of ginger, some garlic, and make this nice little uh, dipping sauce. sauce. Uh, I, I like to pour it over. So I'll take my, my whole perch my rockfish and i'll deep fry it in my wok nice and crispy the cornstarch gives it a beautiful crispy edge uh-huh. put it on a platter and then pour over this tamarind mm. uh sauce right over top of the fish and it drips into those cuts that you've made right and so typically you're going to take your chopsticks you're going to eat with friends and the chopsticks you're just going to take chunks of the fish off right but it's already got that lovely tamarind uh, glaze on it and it's uh, to me a revelation and how to take a little white fish that doesn't have a ton of flavor and really perk it up, really right. bring it out. It's also, when you dilute it, it makes a great dressing. <clears throat> I mean, you take this with a little Dijon mustard. You know, you take the tamarind paste, you mm-hmm. put it with a little... Instead of using water, you can use olive oil. You know, you gently warm up your olive oil, mix your tamarind paste in it, and a little Dijon mustard or wasabi if you want to get really perky. And then <laughs> use that as a dressing for your vegetables, Radishes, cucumbers, you know, especially in the spring, radishes, cucumber, kohlrabi. You know, yeah. A lot of those radishes. The radishes come in many forms. I think of kohlrabi being radish like right. daikons. Right. Yeah. And you can shred all those vegetables if you want and then put that dressing all over it and use that as on top of a lettuce or as a garnish to a, you know, another dish mm-hmm. or an entree, I should say. It's a good, it's a good, it's a very easy item to use. And like you said, I have it in my cupboard the same way, and I don't think about it enough to use it, you know, and, and it's a shame because it's a beautiful ingredient. Right. Uh, when you go to Indian restaurants, uh, I happen to go out on my way home, and I go to Saffron up on, uh, uh-huh. I want to say it's 105th, right up by Northgate, and I end up at the bar there when I'm late and I'm tired. I've taught a class here at the hot stove. I think they're open till 10, which is really nice, uh, and I'll go in and have the lamb chops, and I'll have a little tamarind chutney. Oh, uh, cool. with the lamb chops. Uh, great little condiment uh, to go with it. They have a mint chutney, a tamarind chutney, and uh, I just love it. It's just. So, what's uh, in their chutney? Onions and. I would guess. You know, I would think that they might even buy it. I don't know. Maybe they make it. Oh, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, it just would be something that 
would be reduced onions, the tamarind paste. I, I think it has citrus in it, you know, although it's hard to tell sometimes with tamarind because, because it, tamarind, tastes, yeah. it tastes so lemony already, but it is thickened with something. So mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sure if they're using the tamarind paste itself to thicken it, which is possible. Right. Uh, but it's, it's a, a very tasty condiment for barbecued meats. Right, right, right. No, absolutely. I mean, it's putting it onto lamb chops that would be delicious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Why not? Yeah. Yes. There were also uh, baking suggestions uh, for some cakes and combining it with chocolate um, in a fudgy kind of way. And I got to thinking that it reminded me of when you ha- experience cardamom in the Scandinavian cuisines. Mm-hmm. When you have it, you're like, oh, why don't I have cardamom more? Because it has that alternative twist and, mm-hmm. and new flavor. And now... Tamarind is in that school for me. You know, right. and I, I want to have like a rich pound cake with chunks of, uh, that, especially that uh, candied yeah. tamarind. It, was- it would be so easy to do. Like if you were doing a banana bread, that's what I'm thinking yeah. of right now. Banana bread, you could put a bunch of these chunks of, uh, of tamarind confit, you know, sweet confit. That would be delicious in there. And so you said good. you bought that at Trader Joe's? Yeah. I, I, I've had that for. Honestly, I've, I mean, it's a, it's a bag. It's, a, it's twice as big as this. I probably have this for two years. Mm-hmm. Time to use it. Well, I use it, but, it, I mean, it's pretty potent. It's rich. <laughs> Can't use the whole thing. But rice pudding is another place where I was thinking, you know, you do a nice oh, rice yes. pudding, and you put chunks of that in there. Oh, I would love to see if that melted down, like when you made the banana bread or the rice pudding, if it's hot rice pudding. If it melted down like little chunks of toffee wood or or caramel, where you know, in yeah, ice it cream, won't, it you know won't how, get hard no. like toffee. It but won't it, get soft like that uh, when you. But it, I think no, I think it would be soft by mm-hmm. the time it's finished to bake because it's already soft on its own right now because it's cooked. Right. So it would make like a little pot dot into your bread, so that would be good. I think that would be super fun. Okay, okay it's time for a rub with love, food for thought, tasty trivia. Coming to you uh, here next at the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We're back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen on 97.3 FM. It's time for Food for Thought, Rub with Love, Tasty Trivia, brought to you by my Rub with Love family of spice blends, sauces, and mustards that belong in your pantry, doggone it. Uh, these condiments will help you create distinctive flavor profiles in any dish you are creating. Uh, you can have fun mixing and matching them on your veggies and proteins. And Rub With Love is available at your local grocery stores, uh, Bartels, gift shops like Made in Washington stores right down there at the airport, Hoodsport Gifts in Hoodsport, Washington, Northwest Food and Gifts in McMinnville, Oregon. Also, we can ship directly to your home or on Amazon or you name it. It's everywhere right here in the great Northwest and around the world. Our prize today uh, is for Susan, right? For Susan, and it's the peri-peri, because I just made the most incredible buttery croutons with the peri-peri. Ooh, that's And I want more people spicing up their life with the peri-peri rub. There you go. How do you play our game, Pamela? Well, these very insightful questions, five for each team, (laughs) and we're going to see who can get the most right. Oh my and God! Who the loser is. Be, I can't wait to be going. The loser, has to, uh, the loser has to pay for delivery, but Susan is sitting right across from us. I know, so it's hard work. Yeah, uh, Susan <laughs> is being joined joined by Annie Elmore, one of the chefs here at the Hot Stove Society, and 
uh, the alter ego of Edna Mode, the incredible. Yes, please. Evil you gotta genius. get you the glasses, the right? Evil genius. She is an e- she's a genius, not okay. too evil. No, All right, she's Terry Rose. Most, most kind. Yes, you're, go ahead. I'm you're going stop. first today. Okay, go ahead. Which type of chocolate has the same name that as a mushroom? Okay, uh, same as a mushroom? I would say enoki. Yeah, chocolate. I mean, something like no, that. No. It's, a, it's more like a uh, kind of chocolate, a version of chocolate. Oh. A version of a candy. That's the same name as what? A mushroom. Oh. Truffles? Yay! Number two. I was going there, don't worry. I was slowly but surely going there. This one's funny. True or false? Tamarind exhibits laxative effects due to its high quantities of malic and tartaric acid. Absolutely. <laughs> it's true. Don't eat too much. Yeah. Just don't go too crazy on the tamarind. Well, actually do. It's good to clean up once in a while. <laughs> Number three. Cheesecake is believed to have been served first at an important worldwide athletic event. What event was that? The Olympics. How did you know that? But you, everybody knows that. Nobody knows that. You're three for three. This is a strong start. Garlic helps to prevent heart disease as yes. it helps to lower the level of what? Ab- Dracula. In our, in our blood. Dracula in your life. <laughs> White cell. <laughs> Cholesterol. Oh, that too. Because that wouldn't be good if it uh, glowed down your white cell. You'd be going, wait, I'm dying. What's going on? You didn't get that one. No, I didn't. Number, <laughs> number five, what fruit family do plantains belong to? The, um, oh, I know this. Yes, you do. It's not lilies. It's not dahlia. It's, um, what's that? Um, oh, my God. What's that fruit that we eat? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a... Uh, what do they look like? Okay, what I'm is not it? remembering it. Bananas. <laughs> I guess the French don't eat many plantains. No, I eat bananas every day, though. Need that potassium. Yes, great source. Uh, Susan and Annie. Number one, which continent is the largest producer of cacao? The North Pole. <laughs> That's my help. I'm just kidding. Where do they grow the most cacao? Which continent? We're going with Africa. You are correct. Correct. <laughs> Number two, true or false? Hot chocolate was a popular drink for Mayas and Aztecs. True. Two for two. True or false? In homes and temples, tamarind pulp is used to polish brass, shrines, lamps, and utensils. We think true. It is true. It is true because there's so much acid. There's so much acid. You guys are brilliant. I use it to clean my uh, car, uh, my tire, uh, what do you call that? Tamarind paste? Yeah. Yeah. What country is currently the largest producer of tamarind? Thailand? India. India. Yeah. Uh, Well, close. So which one? India. So she said Thailand, of course. What did yeah, you say? It's done. It's done. I, I know. Yeah. Well, she said Thailand uh, first. Uh, but here he is. <laughs> no, no. All right. We're giving it to him. You're giving it to him. I'm giving it to him because Susan got it. Yes. And your final one. And you can nail this five for five. Which vitamin is the only one that you will not find in an egg? In an egg. Like a big green egg? Like a charcoal? Nee, nee, nee. 
What's your guess, Susan? My guess was vitamin B, but I... B. B. As in baby. It's C. Eggs have small amounts of every vitamin and mineral, calcium, iron, zinc, that our body needs except C. Four out of five. What a show. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. Exactly. By one. You beat me. Banana. Very proud of that team. Tom Douglas. Yes. Which herb is used to make the chocolate candy after eight? Mint. Yes. Number two, is tamarind pulp edible? Pulp, yes. Yes, the hard green pulp of the young fruit is edible, but considered by many to be much too sour. Three, what is the most common food allergen in the United States? I'm going to go with nuts. It is nuts. Three for three. But nuts aren't peanuts. Peanuts are legumes. Just saying. Thank you for clarifying. What? Fam- what family is the That's an extra point popular right <laughs> Mexican food nopales in? Well, I have an is old an cousin. Animal, I have an old cousin that uh, owned a cactus farm, um, and they're part of the cactus. Family. You're rocking it. Who's that? I'm joking. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. What is the Southern United States name for a peanut? What is a southern? So what do they call? What do they peanuts call peanuts in, in a southern United States? Yes, in in one particular state or city, the area. Uh, I would say they call them Carver nuts because <laughs> Mr. Carver figured out a way to how to use peanuts in a lot of different ways. Oh, I think that is wrong. Okay. They are goobers. Goobers. <laughs> oh, wow. They are called goobers. So, so there's a tie. It's like Chef Annie. She, Annie, what state are you from, goober? You goober? <laughs> you just wanted to say goober. Yeah. Well, Thank, for, you. Thank you. Thank lost. you to Susan. Susan, uh, I, will, I will definitely carry the uh, spice rub to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Not Thank only do you, I get Susan. to buy the spice rub, but I get to have it delivered too. Yes. Uh, you're listening to us uh, on Cairo Radio, of course, Hot Stove Society Show. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley and Sean McFadden right here in the studio. And our editor at Cairo is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. And remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, use Tamron. And steam your fish.